0: All right, a little Rocky this morning. For the five of you who are here, and especially the, the, some of you younger people, I have no idea what you just watched. Okay? It's one of the great movies, sports movies of all time. Rocky, uh, you know, and if, if you're familiar with the movie, you know what kind of happens that, that the scene you see here is near the end of the movie or towards the end of the movie. When we first re- meet Rocky, he's a little bit pudgy, uh, a, a terrible boxer who is um, also working for the mob, uh, breaking people's. Uh, arms to collect debts for the mafia. He's just like, his life is a mess. He has nothing going on for him. But something changes it that caused him to hear the music, you know, the dun-dun-dun-dun. And we end up with him. The first time, uh, what changes for Rocky is that he gets an opportunity as a bum, as a nobody, to fight the heavyweight champion of the world, Apollo Creed. And at first he has no interest, but then he starts going, okay, I'm going to try to do this. And the first time we see him doing push-ups or trying to work out, he can't like, do more than just a couple push-ups. Like, no less one-arm you know, one push-ups. Yeah, you know, anybody, was anybody like, I'm going to jump into the aisle and do a one-arm push-up while you're watching that today? Uh, the first time he tries to run up those steps there in Philadelphia, uh, he, he doesn't make it up like the, a third of the steps before he, he about passes out. We see him run through the streets and he can't run. Like, he is awful. And, and, and he has no real sense of purpose or meaning until he gets this opportunity. And what he realizes with the help of his, uh, you know, trusted uh, cornerman Mick, his coach, who then helps him figure out how to do this, he figures out that if he will dedicate himself to the, 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 uh, the things that he has to do, the disciplines that he has to do. If he gets himself in the gym and he starts really working hard, that he can reach his goal. We get to the end of the movie and he tells us what his goal is. It's an amazing moment where he's sitting there talking to his then-girlfriend and basically tells her uh, that his goal is, is not to, it, necessarily to win the fight. He doesn't necessarily believe he can win this fight. Uh, but what he wants to do, this, this boxer he's fighting has never had somebody go the distance. And it is his, it is his goal, his meaning, his purpose in life to get to the bell ringing at the end of the last round and still be on his feet. He says, Look, "Like if I, if I make it there, I, I know I'm not a bum. I know that, I, that, that I, I matter, that I know that I have meaning and purpose. Now, we as followers of Jesus would say, hey, that's not necessarily our meaning, our purpose, but what we would say is, there's something beautiful in what he did, and we could celebrate the discipline it takes as people who've all, in January, went, I'm going to the gym. And you get a whole lot of amens there, right? You know, uh, we're like, it's a new year, I'm turning over, I'm going to eat healthy, I'm going to get fit, I'm going back to the gym, and we make it through like three workouts, and then we fail, right? Can I get an amen? Anybody anybody with me on that, right? Uh, Anybody like, you know, I I thought I was going to be doing one-arm push-ups, and all I do is I keep like doing one sit-up a day. I wake up in the morning and do half of it, and I end it when I go back to bed. That's my workout, Right? And so, uh, this idea of, of dedicating yourself, disciplining yourself, is a very good idea, but sometimes we find it hard. Well, in 1 Timothy chapter 4, this man, Paul, who's writing to a younger man in ministry, says this. I want you to listen to his words. He says, uh, Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths, rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and for the life to come. Here's what Paul's saying. He's saying, first of all, you need to put aside the things that that, that will end up tangling you up and and messing up these rhythms of life. But he says, you need to train yourself for godliness. Godliness. And then he connects the dots, that it's cool to be rocky. It's cool to, to get disciplined. It's cool to get buff. It's cool to get strong. It's cool to be able to run up the steps and jump up and down and eventually have a statue put in that place on your behalf. That's a good thing, but that's not the best thing. The best thing is what he calls here godliness. It, it is just, it's a word in the New Testament that refers to the life of a disciple. Be- becoming more like Jesus. He says, train yourself. Train yourself. I want you to hear that. Train yourself. For godliness. The the word in the original text is the word that we get our word gymnasium from. It's gymnasium. It it means work out. Discipline yourself. Train yourself. Start doing things. See, here's, here's the big idea this morning. There are certain things that should be part of the rhythms and disciplines of our life. That are part of our Christian journey that will help us figure out what it means to walk the life of a follower of Jesus, walk the life of a disciple. And this morning, our goal is to talk about those things, to talk about hitting the gym. Like my challenge for you this morning is we're in this series on what it looks like to be a church that makes disciples and you becoming more of a, like figure out what it means to be a disciple. What we want to tell you this morning is, is we've got to figure out how to get back to the gym. we got to get back into our workouts. We've got to get back into certain rhythms and and. and uh, disciplines and cons- consistencies some things that will help you grow that if you aren't doing these things, like the, the disciplines we're going to talk about are not the sum total of our Christianity. In fact, the disciplines always have a goal and the goal is our purpose, not the, the disciplines. Yet, if some of these things are not part of your life on some kind of rhythmic, purposeful basis, you won't grow. So so let me make sure I'm saying this clearly. Prayer, Bible study, fasting, giving, the things we're going to talk about, they are not the goal of the Christian life. But without them, there's no way to get to the rank and to make it to the end. You, You have to... They're just disciplines. It is what Paul's talking about in this text. And Jesus is going to talk about as we read our text in a minute. There are certain things that have to be part of the rhythm and the values of attitude so we can get to the finish line, so we can stand on the steps and jump up and down, so we can do one-arm push-ups. But you don't get there without getting in the gym the first time and doing one push-up and barely getting through it, getting through one workout and sometimes going and having a fitness instructor walk you through it so you know how to do things and what to do. Like, if we don't start there, we're never getting to the point where there's Intimacy and beauty in these disciplines. Train yourself for godliness. Um, it, our goal then is godliness, which is becoming a disciple, a follower of Jesus, more like Jesus. In fact, I love this quote. We've, we're talking about discipleship, what it means to make disciples, what it means to be disciples as a church. And, and listen to this definition by a guy named Dallas Willard, who wrote one of the, several of the great books on disciple-making and discipleship. He says this, Discipleship is the process of... Of becoming who Jesus would be if Jesus were you. Discipleship is a process of becoming who Jesus would be if Jesus were you. I love that because first of all, we are gifted and and blessed in different ways. So the Jesus in you actually in places looks different than the Jesus in me. We're not clones Yet, discipleship is you becoming more like Christ, day by day, week by week, growing more in the image of Christ, becoming more committed to him, finding more beauty and fellowship with him, becoming more like, like Jesus. And so, where we're at, this is a series, we're part of a series called The Recipe. We've normally been showing a video just explaining chocolate chip cookies. And that was kind of our first sermon was talking about the beauty of having a real recipe for discipleship. And that um, our goal of this, as a church, like Jesus parting words to his, his followers was go and make disciples. And what we said is, how do we know How to make a disciple if we don't know what a disciple actually is and if we don't have a clear recipe for that. So then we said, okay, if we know the clear recipe, how do we know what this looks like? And our second sermon, we went through a sermon that looked at how Jesus actually made disciples of these original 12 people that he called to himself and he invested in. And there were certain things that happened in his ministry to them so that when they heard these original 12 men who heard Jesus say, go and make disciples, they didn't go, hmm, I wonder what that means. They knew exactly what it meant because they had been discipled by Jesus. He was saying, What I did for you, go reproduce that and keep reproducing that until I come back again. And Jesus has not come back again. And so, what we know is that this is our commission as a church, this is our purpose. Our main goal, our main purpose is to follow the commission of Jesus. And help you become a deeper, more committed follower of Jesus. Our greatest joy and and meaning as a church is when we're making disciples. But this is also what this means for you. That no matter where you are at in the journey, no matter where you are at in your struggles, no matter where you're at and what it looks like to follow Jesus, your greatest joy and fulfillment in life is in following Jesus. You may be here today and go, I I don't get this, I don't know a whole lot about Jesus. I'm not sure about this Christianity thing. And I'm just telling you that God loves you, Jesus died for you, he is for you, and your greatest fulfillment in in, in life, your greatest fulfillment in in finding meaning, your greatest joy is in figuring out what it looks like to trust in and follow Jesus with all that you are. And and so so here's the, the goal, is that we as a church are dedicating ourselves to making disciples, and what we hope for you, every one of you, is that no matter where you are, you may be more like Rocky. You've been doing this a long time, and you've got some rhythms and habits. This morning may be more of a, uh, just a reminder. For some of you, you may be Rocky when he starts, and he's just a bum, and he can't even run down the street without passing out. And this morning, we're going to just remind you, hey, it, wherever you're at, start and figure out what it looks like to build some rhythms, some habits into your life that lead to godliness, so here's where we've been. We said any recipe has to have ingredients. There are some clear ingredients that we find in the Bible from the lips of Jesus, the way he taught, the way he led, echoed throughout Scripture that are super important in this journey of making disciples. That we need to start mixing in these ingredients in the right amount, in the right spaces and places. And we talked about gospel fluency and clarity being the first one. That everything we do and everything we say is about Jesus And it's constantly reminding us, and this is why we have to start here. It is constantly reminding us that no matter what else comes after the first one, that your identity, your approval is never based on your performance. Now, here's why this is important this morning. We're gonna talk about some of these, and some of you are gonna hear some of these and go, I am awful at these things. And it doesn't matter. Your identity and your approval has nothing to do with how well you do the things I'm talking about this morning. Your identity and approval flows from the fact that Christ loves you, God loves you, Jesus died on the cross, he is, if, if you've trusted in him, he has saved you and redeemed you, you are his. In fact, it flips it from finding my identity and approval in my activity to becoming the, the internal motivation for doing the things In other words, I don't read my Bible, pray, do the things that the scripture commanded so that I will gain God's approval. I start doing these things because I know I'm loved and this is God's pathway for me to know him more and love him better. Which leads to the second ingredient, which is loving God. That that the goal then is for you to love God with all that you are, all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. What that turns into is loving neighbor as yourself, that the motivational structure of our heart moves from guilt and duty which is what religion does. We've talked about the fact that a lot of you grew up in, in, in religious cultures where they told you what you must do, they made you feel guilty when you didn't. Guilt and duty became, and all of a sudden we are religious at the core and all of a sudden when I think my identity my, my, is based on my performance, when I'm not performing, I feel guilty and that guilt can be a good motivator for a while, but it will eventually fall flat on the face. But if I learn to love God and my love for God becomes the motivation, it changes everything. Then we talked about stewardship. That that uh, Darren, like last two weeks, we had two of our guys preaching. Man, I was so blessed by them. I hope you were too. It's such a joy to be able to sit for a few Sundays and just be a church member, and to hear guys competently open to scriptures and preach from God's word. Man, what a great job! Hearing about stewardship. That the next ingredient is looking at us and going, "Hey, the next step in figuring out what it means to be a follower of Jesus is in a growing way realizing I'm not my own. I've been bought." If you're a follower of Jesus, you don't own you anymore. We live in a narcissistic society that says the greatest goal in life and the way to be happy is for you to, to, to pursue and follow your dreams. And, and, and that the greatest purpose in people's life is to discover themselves. And in the midst of that, the gospel says the, way, the greatest way for you to find meaning, and purpose in life is to lose yourself, to take up your cross, follow Jesus. We have, to, we have a lot of discipleship work in this culture to do with people where the water we swim in is the water of the Disney message. Now, I'm not saying don't go watch Disney. I'm just saying their whole message is live your dreams. Your happiness is found in you doing you. And in the midst of this, the gospel says your greatest happiness and joy is, find, is, is found in following Jesus and realizing you're not your own. And then last week, we started a kind of a two-week thing on disciplines, okay? So the idea that there are certain rhythms and habits, and John so, so wonderfully uh, shared with us, uh, John so wonderfully shared with us that, that there are rhythms that are about Bible intake, that some of the disciplines, some of the training we do is opening our Bible and letting, getting ourselves into the Bible and getting the Bible into ourselves, letting the, like, like spending time rhythmically reading the scriptures and studying the Bible. And so the disciplines of the word, this idea that, that we are pursuing these rhythms. And I want you, like I start, it's not going to the timbers one time and go, all right, I'm done for the year, but there's a rather regular rhythmic uh, pursuit of certain disciplines in our lives that will help us become more proficient, more godly, more like Jesus, more in touch with them, more in tune with so. We have to learn how to open our Bible, both corporately, but in- give you resources and tools that help you figure out how to open the Bible and read it for yourself, to study, to pray, to meditate, to memorize scripture, that the Bible is really important. And today we're going to talk about disciplines of the walk, the, the, the disciplines, the, the, the rhythms in our life that are, uh, uh, you know, front and side of, one coin, uh, of a coin or exhaling and inhaling, okay, that... that the disciplines of the walk are really us engaging a conversation with our God through things like prayer, our generosity and giving, things like um, our uh, fasting, which you know for a lot of us when we get there is probably something you're like, well, I've never even done that. But, but it's something you ought to consider. It's something that will help you grow. Uh, things like journaling, things like personal private worship, things like this. Things we'll hit here in a few minutes, that there are some rhythms that you ought to be trying to build into your life and, and what happens is, is, is Christ is going to transform you into a growing disciple if you do them with the right motivational structure. And that's what Jesus is going to teach us. Both that we should be doing these things, but it's, it's not just that we do them. It's what is going on in here when I do these things that will ultimately matter. And So our definition of a disciple, the one we're working off here as a church, is to say a disciple is a follower of Jesus, Who's ever growing in their application of the Great Commandment and the Great Commission? Great Commandment is go make disciples, that we're all part of God's great mission. Great, uh, or, I'm sorry, that's the Great Commission. The Great Commandment is love God with all that you are, love your neighbor as yourself. And our goal for you is to help you become a person who loves God with everything, loves your neighbor, and is part of God's great mission in the world. That he is using you in your work, in your place of employment, in your lives, in your neighborhoods, and through our church to to, to retake the gospel to the nations and to our neighborhood. That's our goal, okay? That's what we want for you and we want to be as a church. And we want to be uber clear this is what we're about. And one of the important ingredients are these disciplines that we help you learn how to do the things that Jesus just told us to do. So with that in mind, grab a Bible, find the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter six. And as you're looking, I wanna read this quote to you from a guy named Don Whitney from what I think is the best book on this. So if you're you're here this morning and you go, "Mm, I'm hearing this and I really would like to to do something. I'd like to, to do a little study, do a little reading Here's the best book I've ever read on this. It's, it's a guy named Don Whitney. The name of the book is spiritual, spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life, where he helps you understand how to do these things. We're going to hit him for a minute. He, he kinda, The book takes us a little deeper into how to implement these in life. But this is what he says. The spiritual disciplines are those practices found in Scripture that promote spiritual growth among believers in the gospel of Jesus Christ. They are habits of devotion Habits of experiential Christianity that have been practiced by God's people since biblical times. Listen to what it says. They are practices found in scripture that promote spiritual growth among believers in the gospel. And they are habits of devotion, habits of experiential Christianity that have been been practiced by God's people since biblical times. Habits, rhythms. Now, here's what we want. We want a a religious spirit that feels very organic, very ornate, very natural. And we think that that's the the best thing to value. But anything in life for anything to get organic more, more just free-flowing and comfortable, you have to implement rhythms to get you there. It it is never going to be free-flowing and organic to be in the weight room unless you start lifting weights for a while. And then you're going to get comfortable and it's going to feel great. Takes you a while to get to that point. You're never gonna get comfortable and just natural and free-flowing in a relationship with your spouse if you don't start dating her and, and being present. It's not just gonna like, you're not just gonna have these moments. where uh, And what we're looking for is these moments with God where we like we feel like God go, oh, you know, we're like, oh. I've, it, it, the way to get there is to start implementing things that you will have days when you open your Bible and you pray where you're like, I didn't have, the lights didn't come down. I didn't have this like, aha uh-huh moment. I did, uh, You just read your Bible and prayed. You moved on. But you won't really get to the moments where you have those experiences with God without dedicating yourself to them. And there's a reason why. This is what Jesus is going to get at in our text. Why these things are important. So here we are, Matthew chapter 6. This section is, is part of what is called the Sermon on the Mount. It is the longest single sermon from Jesus in the, in the New Testament. Jesus is, is preaching or he's teaching His disciples. So what he did is he gathered his 12 men, these 12 followers that he is discipling, these 12 people he's investing in. He gathered them to himself, but what we're told at the beginning of the sermon in Matthew 5, that Jesus saw the crowds, so he pulled his disciples to him. In other words, he's going to teach them what it looks like to live as kingdom citizens with the, the, the world who doesn't know Jesus in the backdrop. What he's doing with them is for them. And he has this long, beautiful sermon that are about what, like literally the whole meaning of the sermon is, here's what it looks like when Christ is king invades your life. What it means, like we, we, we sang, let your kingdom come. What does it really look like in your, my life, and my life as a disciple when Christ is king rules? And in chapter six, he gets into these rhythms but you'll notice right away that, that he both, he's talking about these things that we need to be doing in life. Prayer, fasting, giving, things like that. Yet, he also gives them a stern warning about those practices. And so, so check this out. Matthew chapter 6, beginning of verse 1. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites. For they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head, wash your face. Um, In that vernacular, it's take a shower, do your hair. Don't, don't, Don't go out looking different. Okay? Wash your face that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Jesus is talking to these guys about these rhythms, and and he shares with them the importance of these rhythms, but he also gives them a warning about the motivational structure of the heart when they do them. And that's kind of what we want to connect, what we're talking about today, what Jesus says. And so I want to share with you a couple things from the text about Jesus' commandment, two two big ideas, uh, uh, two uh, things Jesus is teaching his discipleship that are vital for the disciplines. And then we're going to talk about the three that are here and a few other disciplines that show up in other places of scripture and what are the things that are part of our workout plan? What are the things that we should put into our discipline? Like when we go to the spiritual gym, what are the things that we start creating a rhythm to implement in our lives on a regular, consistent basis that we find a coach when we need to to help us, that we get accountability to to, to keep us on track so that we can gain the goal that the text speaks of, okay? So let's talk this morning, first of all, about the activity. What is the activity that Jesus is saying? Verse one, he says, be careful when you are practicing Righteousness, Practicing righteousness. See that phrase in verse 1. The whole, the whole passage is built on the idea that Jesus is looking at his, his followers, his disciples, saying there are things that need to be part of your spiritual activities. You need to do some things that are practicing, living out, disciplining. I think it's that he's talking about the same thing where, where Paul later, in the passage we read, says train yourself that there are activities that we are involving in our lives that are vital. Now, what happens is he says, beware about how you do them because some people, when they do them, they get their reward in full. And a lot of times, this is what we do. In fact, Jesus used the word hypocrite a lot here, okay? And what what some of us have been like around people, or maybe for some of us, We've seen people who put on their religion as a show. They did their religious duties in such a way that they made sure that you were aware of them. Uh, And and you were like, this is so fake. This is not what, you know, and, and it was hard. And all of a sudden, your response to that was to go, well, I don't think I can do this. I don't think I can be faithful to this. I just think it's weird. When Christians do this, it's just bizarre. And therefore, I'm out. I'm not doing this. I'm not going to look religious. I'm not going to act like I do these things. I'm just like, I'm bugging out. I think Christians are hypocrites. And the answer to that question is yes. There are a ton of Christians who are hypocrites. There are times when I can be a hypocrite. There are times when you can. Hypocrite is just somebody who wears more than one mask. I show up in one setting looking like this. I show up in another setting looking like this. And so I'm not real. And we see this all around us. But but what we so often want to do is we want to say, well, I don't want to look like that, and therefore I'm not going to do this. And, and, and then we can kind of get into church and go, well, how do we do this here? How do I make sure that what I'm doing here is not a show? How, if I raise my hands in worship, am I doing this so other people will see me, or am I doing this so that I that, am um, being, actually honoring God? If I come to pray, like we, we had Maya come pray. Well, here's this whole passage, that says, don't pray. We, we could turn somebody into a hypocrite by doing that. How do we make sure we're doing this? And what I want you to see is that Jesus over and over again, to, he is not saying don't do these in public. But he is saying don't do these in public if you're not doing them in private. That's what he's saying. Your father who sees in secret. Your father who sees in secret. He's like, if, th- 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 we get in real danger when we start trying to put on a show or, or doing things in our rhythms that isn't, aren't being built into our lives on a daily basis. That's how, that's the main way you make sure that you are not just doing it to put on a show. That that these are part of who I am when nobody else is watching me. Right? And and so there are these rhythms, these things. In fact, um, Christians through the years have called these things the means of grace. Means of grace. The idea that God has given certain things. The means of grace include hearing preaching, opening the Bible, things like that. But means of grace are these God's appointed instruments by which the Holy Spirit enables believers to receive Christ's benefits of redemption. That there are things, there are gifts that God has given to us. These means of grace. These gifts from God he's given to us where we can enjoy the presence of God. Enjoy the beauty of who he is. They are rhythms and 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 activities where we can taste and see and touch and know the goodness of God. And these things, these things that this text, these disciplines are God's means of grace. They're what God has given to us to experience his kindness, his favor, and while we do them, they help us grow, become more like Jesus, become deeper followers of Jesus. In fact, pay attention to the text. Verse two, thus, When you give. Notice he didn't say, if you give. Notice that he doesn't say, well, you see people give this way so you can opt out. He says, when you give to the needy. Verse 3. And when you pray. Not if you pray. When you pray. Verse 4. and But when you pray. Verse six, but when you pray, verse seven, and when you pray, verse 16, and when you fast. Notice that Jesus isn't saying if, notice Jesus doesn't say, well, if you come around to it, Jesus is saying, listen, when you do this, when you do this, and then he is creating a rhythm where it's not just showing up in church, in secret, close your door, be alone with God, Interact with him. There are, 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 like he is literally giving them activity that is rooted in who they are as followers of Jesus. And he's saying, there is an expectation in the gospel for those who follow Jesus that these are regular rhythms of their life. There's an activity, but there's also a call to an attitude, a posture of the heart when you do this. And so as he does, does, uh, teaches them, he is teaching them to be very careful about the motivational structure of their hearts. The why behind the what. And he gives them two warnings. First of all, he talks about the hypocrites, and the first warning is being seen by people. Now, as I've already mentioned, I don't think Jesus is forbidding us doing these things where we're seen by people. If we did that, we couldn't have church on Sunday. Like, Like, you need to know this, okay? Let me tell you something about me. There is a little bit of me every week that freaks out that I'm standing in front of you. Opening God's word. And there is, there's a little fear that, that I get up here and I start putting on a show. I like it when you think I'm awesome. I, I like when people come up, oh, Pastor Mike, wow. You know, I don't like it when somebody does what, like one lady came up to her pastor and said, Pastor, I think every sermon you preach is a little bit better than the next one. You'll get that in a few minutes. All right. It was not a compliment. I, I, I like it. It's really hard for me to not have that as part of my motivation for doing something in public. So there's constant repentance and walking through this. But it starts with me spending a lot of time in private with the Lord asking me not to end there. Right? I, I, this is, like, we have to do these things in public. Yet, if all of a sudden we're doing them in public in such a way that, as he calls, like the hypocrites, so that's really the main goal is to be recognized, to be seen as holy, to to make sure everybody knows that I'm a really awesome Christian. This is why we end up like, there are just insane, insane stories in our culture that I want to curl up and just in a ball and cry of these people who seem to be heroes, who all of a sudden we find out that they are Awful people who've abused children, raped women, used their power to demean and belittle people. And we thought they were spiritual heroes and they were actually monsters. Hypocrites. Now again, we can look at that and go, well, I'm not doing that. But, but Jesus is saying, listen, don't go there. But make sure the motivational structure of your heart isn't to be seen. It isn't to be recognized. It isn't to be noticed. He also warns him that, that the spiritual structure of your heart needs to be very close to, or needs to, uh, should not be, uh, your, the motivation for praying and fasting thing is not to manipulate God. This is where he says, in verse seven, he says, uh, he warns them about being like the, he goes from being like the hypocrites. he says, "Being don't be like the Gentiles. And literally what he's saying is, what, what would happen in Gentile religions? they had all these gods, and they had created all these prayers and mantras and these things where they would just recite them. They were, they were incantations where God, the gods were more like genies, <clears throat> and it wasn't what the reason you were with doing these things. It was the words and the repetition, and that the gods were obligated to do what you wanted them to do. You can manipulate the gods by, by turning them into a, like gods into more like a genie in a bottle saying the right words, and now they would do what you wanted them to do because of what you said. Be, be careful in your prayer life that you're not trying to just use your prayers to manipulate God. Yes, we take our request to God. That's important, but be careful we're not doing this. Yeah, I'll give you a great example. We've been reading the Lord's Prayer in this passage and working through it the last four weeks. And a lot of you grew up in a tradition where we call this the what? Our Father. Now, yeah, nothing wrong with that. Until somebody tells you to repeat the Our Father five times and God will forgive you. Now you've turned that into a Gentile incantation. This prayer was never designed to be primarily quoted and recited together, although it can be helpful to do that. But especially it was never designed to be quoted and recited as some way of doing penance to, to pay God back for the evil that you did. Yet, there's beauty in this prayer that Jesus gives is actually a wonderful way for us to see a rhythm so rather than being the lord's prayer to recite it's a model of prayer for us to follow that's what it is we said pray this way he didn't say quote this he's saying pray like this we give you a model to follow in your prayers and we've tried to show you that and i'll come back to this in just a minute and so uh we don't want to turn our, our religious duties into something to be seen nor are we fasting and praying so that well you know if I do this, this, and this, then it will get God to do this, this, and this. That's not the goal. So what is the goal? Uh, he gives these warnings about the reasons not to do it, but he then talks about the reward. What is it that is the goal? If I'm going to get involved in these disciplines, if I'm going to start doing push-ups and sit-ups and going to the gym and you know running up, and, and, and in Rocky's case, drinking eggs, never am I doing that, just so you know. That's why I'm like, all right, I'm out. Apollo Creed can win. I'm not getting in a ring. I, I guess if Jesus said, this is what it means to follow me, I'd figure it out. But beyond that, nope, not drinking an act. But anyway, uh, that, that was way out of left field, but there you go. Uh, <clears throat> what is the thing that we're pursuing? what causes us to hear the music because see in, in the rocking baby, that's what happens he doesn't really hear the music but we hear the music and we feel like he hears it he's running through the streets he hears the music he's climbing steps he's doing push-ups he hears the music what is it for you that will help you hear the music the disciplines are not the goal the disciplines get us to the goal and Jesus has beautifully embedded the goal This passage is filled with something that for his disciples was crazy radical. They'd never ever heard it before. We read it and you skipped over it without even noticing it, but it's in the text and for his disciples, when he's saying it, they're like, he's talking about God in a different way. How many times in the text does he say, Your father in heaven, your father in heaven, your father in heaven, your father. It's it's repeated over and over. They've already received their reward. They won't get a reward for the father. But you, when you do it this way, you will receive your reward in full from your father in heaven. He is trying to help us understand that the goal of these, the the, the ultimate purpose of every discipline in our Christian life is we get a father. The goal is relationship. The ultimate purpose of our discipleship is to know God. That's the goal. That that, that by doing these things, we don't manipulate God into doing what we want. We get God. Now, part of the reward is a good father who gives good gifts to his children. But the real reward is not the gifts that God gives. It's getting God. In fact, if you pray to get what God gives, and you don't pray to get God, you're going to miss the point of prayer. You our prayer, our, our fasting, our devotion, our worship, the things that are part of the rhythms are to get God to know him. But it takes seasons of life of dedicated, purposeful dis- disciplines before we start feeling the deep presence of that. I have twin girls. Most of y'all know that. I love them deeply. They're 15, and I'm one of the weirdos who really likes my kids when they turn out to be adolescents. When, when, when they're like, you know, Elementary school and toddlers, I love them, but I tolerate them. When they turn into middle schoolers and high schoolers, I think they're awesome. Just I'm weird that way. Spent 20 years working with teenagers, and right now one thing that's going on in our life is that, you know, like everybody, you have a TV show you watch. But I'll sit down and I'll turn on turn on TV, and here's one of my twins, and it, like we're just at this beautiful stage, and they're not here this morning, so I could talk about them a little bit. Don't tell them I said said this, okay? Because I don't want them to stop this. But I'll sit down. Inevitably, we'll turn on Brooklyn Nine Nine. Anybody with me? Or, or, or Parks and Rec. That's kind of the two shows that we end up on. And next thing I know, one of them, and it's a different one almost every time, is right here. Like in, in, in my shoulder, laying their head on me. And the TV show is was on, but next thing I know, we're, not, we're like kind of chuckling at moments of the TV show while they're telling me about their day. They're telling me about things that went on. They're telling me about their struggles. They're talking about a school project that They're working on they're talking about um, you know, going out for a sport that they're you know, one of them was really nervous all week this week that she was not gonna make the team and then she made the team and it's really like she's she's here. And I love it. I love it. This is what the disciplines are for. They're to draw us closer to a father who's for you. He loves you. And you start walking in the disciplines. And next thing you know, you feel what it's like to be in the armpit of your father laying at his chest and just conversing with him. It goes from a religious activity and a duty to something where you know God. These disciplines are not treasuries that have no goal. They are invitations from a heavenly father that says, bake this stuff into your life and you will find that eventually you you will feel him, you will know him, you will experience his presence and it will bless you. That's what we want. I don't want to teach you how to do a whole bunch of activity that's religious, but I do want to help you to help you figure out how to train yourself in godliness so that you can know God. That, 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 that's the goal. That's, this is what discipleship is. And this is why they're vital. The goal is not prayer. The goal is that prayer draws us to him. The goal is not giving to the needy. The goal is that giving to the needy brings us this point. This is the point of this. This is the motivation. It, look how it loops back to, are you ready? The gospel where you are accepted and love for God that is the goal. Why do, we do, why do we pray and do these disciplines? Because we've experienced the gospel and our Father loves us and is for us. And, and the more we do them with the right motivational structure, the more we will experience our Father in a way that will make us love him more. It will feel near that when we mess up and we fail, we still get to sit down and watch Brooklyn Nine-line, Nine-Nine because he loves us and there's always a place here for my kid right you get it and that's what jesus like the repetition in this passage your father your father they had never heard anybody look at them and say god is your father before it's not in hebrew vernacular in the old testament it's a jesus idea and, and he 's inviting like God is inviting us in, so so what does this look like what, how do we how do we go about this? What are the rewards here? Uh, how, how do we work through this? Well, quickly, let me just let 's talk about the three that are in the text and a couple others that are disciplines that you might integrate into your life. These all come from places in scripture. three are right here i don 't need a deep dive where to find them, but the others are found in places in scripture. Let me give you six workouts, six things to integrate into your routine. Because hear me, hear me clearly. As I said, everything I said about pulling up to the father, if you are not close to somebody in relationship, the first step is not to like walk up and put your head here. That's weird. <laughs> we got to do some life together. And this is the way it's going to feel. You're like, if, di- if you were not doing the spiritual disciplines, you're not going to go home and spend three days of prayer. And then you'll come back and go, it didn't work for me. It's not the way these, these work. It's going to take discipline over life. But I tell, I'm telling you, there are people sitting around who everything I've said, they're like, yeah, that's it. I, this is what it's like. This is what it's like. I, I've experienced this, and I am experiencing it. Like the, so, so this is why, again, we'll get to community later. It's why you need a community. Because if you're the person who's like, I don't know how to pray, you need Mickey in your corner who's teaching you how to do the workout. Right? By the way, if you don't know what I'm talking about, that's a Rocky reference for those of you who have no idea about the movie. Sorry, I've spent the whole movie with the Rocky reference and some of you are like, never seen the movie. Sorry, maybe go home and watch it now you'll know. Anyway, uh, so, uh, but, but I mean, th- th- this is why it's important to have other people around you who help us with this. So, uh, let's look at the ones. The first one that we see in the text is giving to the needy. That there's generosity, generosity to the poor. There's generosity uh, to, um, to and through the church. New Testament tells us that, that, that it's important for us to be giving and figuring out what those regular rhythms. The Bible uses terms like the tithe, which is setting aside 10%. And some of us go, man, if I set aside 10% right now, it would be impossible. This is why you've got to start somewhere. Figure out what, what the rhythm is and see how God blesses and is kind to you. Uh, giving for the mission. being Like in Genesis, we unapologetically have moments where we're like, hey, We want to encourage you to pray through and think about what it looks like to give a little extra for something that will go. And we're starting one of those this morning. During the month of March, during the Easter season, as a church, we collect a church plant offering. It's an offering that over the next several weeks, we're going to be encouraging you week after week to say, would you consider setting aside some money and giving to this offering? And then what we will take is we won't keep a penny of it. Every dollar that is given to us will go to our mission partners in North America and to our to our partners that are planting churches. Uh, some of it will actually go to two church plants that we are part of, that we are have helped, two churches that we are helping plant. And it will just be an offering that goes to bless these partners in ways. And so, uh, like giving to the mission, First Corinthians sixteen two, uh, Paul says on the first day of every week, each of you uh, is to put something aside and stored up as he may prosper, so there will be no collecting when I come. He's saying, listen, there's a rhythm of giving, and, and like, it shows up at the church, but we're not gonna create a thing where there's, you know, this big kettle up front, and you walk down, and with like, you know, show the size of your check real quick, and then put it in. But it is part of our worship. And giving, generosity, giving to the poor, helping people that, like, if you see homeless people, if you see people who are hurting, figuring out ways to love and care for people who are, like, you run into who, who have needs. This, Jesus doesn't say if you give, he says when you do this. This is a rhythm. Second rhythm is the rhythm of prayer. We see this clearly in this text that Jesus gives them a model to pray. He says when you pray. And, and starting in prayer can be very difficult. I don't, like you can say, I don't necessarily know how to pray. And, and that's a real thing. And so what we've done this month, you didn't know that we were spending the whole month getting you to this point in this sermon, did you? By the way haven't our teenagers done a great job leading us in this? Haven't they done It's been really refreshing to have some of our our students who are really growing in their faith step up to the microphone and like Maya did this morning and talk to us. But all month we we've, we've had a recipe prayer card. It fits right with our sermon. In fact, if you don't have one of these, real quick, I want to see your hand. We want to make sure everybody at Genesis has one of these. So raise your hand if you don't have one of these yet. It's a, it's a card that on one side says, recipe for prayer, P-R-A-Y. On the, on the other side, it says, has the Lord's prayer, the, the prayer that we just said. Anybody else not have one? Get, get, get your hands up. We want everybody to have one. So uh, make sure you grab one. All right. We got people that, that are helping out. All right. couple down here. All right. Now here 's the idea we 've been modeling this for you. in fact, if you haven 't figured it out, we pray intentionally in every service, and our goal for our prayer in every weekly gathering is that we are both praying, but we 're also modeling. Different aspect, different ways, different types of prayer. It's always going on here. So you'll, you'll hear us like for a month say, this is kind of our focus. And we're going to do this for this month and we'll pray for our partners. We'll pray, you know, prayers of praise or prayers of confession, things like that. We're trying to model prayer for you. Like we're trying to disciple you in this this prayer in our morning service every single week we're together. And we've done this, this model of prayer. Because what we see is in this beautiful prayer is this, this cool acrostic. And there's other acrostics out there. But it's just a simple across. What do you say? Listen, I don't know how to pray. Put this in a Bible. Put this somewhere. And you're like, I don't know what to do. Just pull this out and go, okay. This, this lines up with the model of prayer. These are all in this. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. These are all elements of that prayer. And so the first one is praise. That I just praise God for who he is. I give thanks for what he's done. Like if, if, if praying is due for you, just pause. Start by praying. Pausing and lifting up your soul. Praising God for who he is, what he's done. Thank Jesus for saving you, for dying on the cross. Thank, thank God for this, the, the, the trees and the springtime weather and the allergies that have gone with it. Anybody with me there? Uh, praise, give praise. Then repent, confess your sin. Talk to God about your struggle. Find forgiveness and grace by being real and transparent and honest with God. Then ask, lift your requests. Paul said, make your requests known to God. Here, give us this day our daily bread. And and that is not saying that all we pray for is bread. It, it It is in the model saying we have needs, desires, hopes, and dreams. Lift them to your Father. But not as a way to manipulate. This is why he says, don't be like the Gentiles. Your Father knows what you need. He loves you. He's for you. You're not, you know, you don't pray, God, I really struggling I, I, I wish i could have a different job and god go wake up and go wait really i didn't i didn't know that he he, he knows your needs but your confession of those are an act of trust in a father to render him independent. so lift your needs spend some time just lifting the things that are on your heart your, your needs and then yield uh your kingdom come your will be done you, you come to the point in our prayer where, where you literally say lord but whatever you want from me, I'm not mine anymore. I'm yours. I trust you. And just start a rhythm of that. Like that's a starting place for prayer. Just use this across it. Put this in your Bible and, and grow in this, learning how to pray. <clears throat> and, and, and then we intentionally are always trying to do things. We have an unbelievable prayer team here that are helping both disciple us, that are leading us in prayers, that have, provide events where we pray together. Be a part of those. I, I, I love this church. I get really sad when I show up at our prayer events. Half of us ought to be there. Half of us may be busy on Saturday, but we, when we say, hey, we're gathering to pray, we ought to be like, oh, I need to circle that on my calendar. I need to be a part of that when we pray together. It's important. It's important to help you grow as a disciple. It's important for us to cry out to God together as a church, all right? Uh, prayer. Uh, third, third thing is fasting. Yep, he says when you fast. He doesn't say if you fast. Now, what is fasting? Biblically, fasting is very specifically the, the setting aside the withholding of food for the purpose of, of spending time getting closer to the Lord. The big idea in Scripture is that that Um, Now, there's other things we could fast. It's good to fast from social media. It's good. Lent is a good season if you participate in that. Say, man, I'm going to, this is something that's clouded my life, and I need to set that aside maybe for 40 days. That's good. But biblically, it's really food that that is the main thing. And what I do is for a day, for a couple days, um, you know, if you've never fasted before, don't wake up and say, hey, I'm going to be like Jesus and do a 40-day fast. Not a good idea, okay? You might say what I'm going to do is I'm going to fast from breakfast and lunch and try to make it to dinner. But set aside, like every once in a while, about, you know, every week or two or month or whatever, set aside a day and say, I'm, I'm going to do a little bit. Maybe it's just breakfast to start with, but you're going to skip breakfast. And, and during that time where you would have normally eaten breakfast, spend time with the Lord. And anytime you feel hunger, use that as a prompter to pray, to open your scriptures, to spend time. Fasting is a really good discipline. It's a discipline that, you know, my guess is for most of us, we've, you know, in here, we may have never tried, but fasting is a really good and important journey. It's, it's this taking, like, what happens is that there's something that happens when my, I, I, I am denying myself of the most basic need for a moment and using that as a, a reminder of my need for something greater. It is denying physical bread so that I really know that more important than that is the living bread. And so fasting is a good, good discipline. Another super important discipline is the discipline of worship, Colossians chapter three, verses 16 and seven says, let the word of Christ dwell in you all richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart to God. Now, we do that together when we come together, but, but here is my challenge for you that I can take you through several scriptures that show you that what we're doing here should be happening in your own private closet as well. You should learn how to worship away from here so that worship is more comfortable here. Get a playlist. Like like what's your heart song? I gotta be honest, if it's Luke Bryan or Leonard Skinnard, we might need to wrestle with that. And hear me, I am not an anti secular music guy. But if all you have in singing in your head is stuff about whatever's going on in the world, you might want to build a playlist that is designed to get your heart singing to Jesus away from here. Just just an encouragement. Learn how to get in your own private, like you're like, I, I, it freaks me out to raise my hands. I, I can't do it. Well, just do it by yourself at home. I could never dance before the Lord. Well, you can if you're all by yourself. And what you'll find is you'll find more freedom here if you figure out a way to do it in your, your own private space. In other words, I am telling you it is a commission of God that you should be singing to Jesus away from here. You should be singing. Okay, and, and as you do that, it will help you when you come here. Now, one of the things we have, and I'm, I'm saying this out loud to my friend Eric who's sitting over here. He's built a Spotify playlist of music we sing here. And he's gonna push that back out again this week, Lord willing, okay? Uh, so that if you're like, I don't know any music, just listen to Genesis Spotify list. It'll be songs that you've sung here and, and get to know the music we sing here. But there's all kinds of places you can go to that, learn how to worship in private, silence and solitude, Silence and solitude, first of all, we know this is an important spiritual discipline because this is one that was practiced by Jesus a lot. Multiple places where it says that Jesus got away from the crowds, away from the busyness, and got alone with the Lord. And, 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 and he was silent before God. Now, silent doesn't mean I don't talk at all. It means that I'm, 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 I'm silencing anything. And I'm, I'm the discipline of just being present before the Lord. Sometimes you do this in silence for some people, that's really helpful. Other people, it might be just with your Bible open. But, but I would say here's why this is, this is probably one of these disciplines that none of us do, and it may be the most needed in our culture. Because the thing we most need to silence in our lives for part of a day is our cell phones and our tablets and our media. I would say the model of Jesus is uber important. And that there need to be times where we put away anything like that and get moments, a couple hours, even 30 minutes in the morning and and, and just be present with the Lord without the next email coming through distracting us. I need this bad at times. Silence and solitude. And the last one I'll talk to to you about is the the, uh, discipline of journaling writing prayers, thoughts, like using a pen and paper or, or a tablet or however you want to do it. Like, these are all going to look different in everybody's lives, but, but, but starting to put some things into your life where you're actually recording some things. There's just so much beauty in journaling. Different people journal different ways. My daughter, uh, my oldest daughter, when she journals, her journal, like she fills up pages and pages of her own prayers, thoughts, poems, things that she's writing, how she's interacting. My journaling is more interactive with texts of scripture. So I I have a journaling Bible and I like to write in the Bible as I'm reading the Bible. So our journals look vastly different. But you know what both of us have? A record of how God was at work in our lives that we have. When I go through tough times, I can go back and find my journals. And second, I have something to pass on to people after me. Think about that, parents, to have something that you've, you've kept over a couple years of journaling that when your kid turns 18, you can hand it and say, man, this, this is me, my spirituality for the last 10 years. Now, there's six really good disciplines. And my point is, we need to start hearing the music. We don't do these, they're, none of these are ends in themselves. They are push-ups, they are sit-ups, they are workouts, they are getting to the gymnasium. They are rhythms, and I have to start somewhere. Nobody goes to the Timbers if you've never worked out and said, man, I'm going to do a full workout and I'm going to be lifting. A, you, you, you need to start simple and Clear and often have somebody coach you. And if you need coaching, let us know. Find a community group. Get along with people who've done this and say, teach me to pray. Teach me how to do this. Find somebody who will hold you accountable for some of these things. Like, man, I struggle to have a daily time of prayer, but you know what? We're going to do this together, and we're going to text once a day to remind each other, hey, how's your prayer life this morning? Did you get, oh, I missed it this morning. All right, man, I love you. I'm for you. The Lord is with you. He's our Father. Cool. Let's keep it up. You know, some accountability, some help. And it is our goal as a church. Like this is disciple making. Our goal as a church is to keep giving you resources and challenges and helps to help you in these disciplines. And we truly believe that the more you integrate these disciplines with the right posture of your heart, the more they will change you. The more they will change you. Now, don't don't miss this. They can also turn you into a Pharisee. We don't want that. But, but, but the more that you start with, <laughs> I'm loved, my father is real, he is for me, and I love him. And now these become pathways to intimacy, means of grace, the more you will experience beauty in your life. And so these disciplines, the disciplines of the word we heard last week, the disciplines of my walk that I'm hearing this week, they are not the goal. They are pathways to the goal. But we start doing them, and so we start doing them together. So that's the challenge That's where we're going. i got to get off the stage. And so uh, I'm going to close with this. Just a reminder, I I mentioned to you that we're taking up this offering this month uh, that is for church planting. It's for our mission partners in North America. One of our great mission partners is called the North American Mission Board or the SEND Network. Part of the reason we do this is they collect an offering this time of year. and A lot of the money that we're going to be collecting during this month will go to this partner of the SEND Network, the North American Mission Board. They call their, their offering the Annie Armstrong. So you are going to hear about this lady, Annie Armstrong, in this. And, and if you grew up Baptist, you'd be like, yeah, I know that lady. And if you didn't, you're going to be like, who's this? Well, this is who it is. There was a lady who lived in the, in the early 1900s who said, we've got to send missionaries everywhere. And she became a catalyst for people giving generously to missions. So they named this offering after her during this season of life. Um, it is part of where this money will go. And so during the month of March, one of the disciplines is giving. What does it look like for you to pray with your family about setting aside some money and giving to the cause of church planting in Mission North America? So check out the video. The band's going to come up, and we're going to sing. All right?